Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Is the sheltering at home or the shutdown of the workplace becoming for some of you, some of you married couples, more like a fighting at home and a shutting down of communications or of the relationship. Unfortunately, for many couples, it is. That's always a risk now when you have such policies and such situations. It can also be the opposite. It can be an opportunity for a deepening, a renewing of relationships Either way, it is a challenge, and many people today are finding it to be, in a sense, negatively challenging. I've had a number of people come to me and say they are not getting along and even wanted a divorce, have come to that point during this shutdown. Very, very unfortunate, and I believe all unnecessary. So let's reach into the reservoir, as we always do in this program, of the gifts of the Eastern churches and see how we can't help this situation if indeed the shutdown is becoming a shutdown in communications or the sheltering at home is becoming a fighting at home. The first thing, and this is in relation to marriage, I would like to cover about four different points here that I think could be helpful during this sheltering at home and this shutdown. The first one is when it comes to marriage in the Eastern churches, there's a little nuanced difference in the approach from the approach in the Western churches. Now, this is not a matter of some kind of fundamental dogmatic doctrinal difference at all. It is not a matter of one being better than the other. It's just different. As always, we present the riches of the two lungs of the church, east and west in this program, largely, of course, the riches of the eastern lung of the church. So when we present these things, we don't do it in terms of a one is better than the other. Uh, one complements the other. One helps to complete the other. So we need each other, just like man and woman. So in the Eastern churches, the nuance that is a little different is that the approach to marriage is this way. The couple and their relationship is being received into the life of the church and into the life of the Holy Trinity, just like we have at baptism. And therefore, what makes the marriage, so to speak, what actually marries the couple 
is not so much one another, where the church is the witness, as in the Latin Rite theology, but in the Eastern theology, it's the blessing of the priest. In other words, the blessing of the church, as the church receives this couple into its life and into the life of the Holy Trinity. Now, that's very important and I think very helpful. And here's why. And I'm going to ask you to think of the image of the cross. That might be a helpful image. The cross has two bars, of course. Of course, in many Byzantine churches, we have a third bar. But basically, there's two bars, a horizontal and a vertical. What happens in relationships, especially in marriage in our culture today, is that marriage is seen or approached on a very horizontal axis. In other words, it's about the couple, one another. They base their decision on marriage. They enter into marriage. They live it, and they decide whether it's working or not based on how they regard or experiencing one another. So it's, it's very dependent upon the other spouse, the other person, and their behavior, what they're doing and not doing. And in the Eastern approach, when you have the idea that marriage is not so much a contract or a covenant between the two, it is that. The Eastern churches do have that theology as well. It's contained in there. But the emphasis, and that's always a difference, it's a matter of emphasis. The emphasis that is helpful here is the fact that it's not about just the relationship, the couple on a horizontal axis. We have to think of the vertical axis of the cross. The vertical axis, especially the top part of it, what does it do? It extends beyond the horizontal axis as though pointing to something or leading your eye, directing us up and above the horizontal. So in other words, it's pointing to the fact that there is a higher reality here. So when a couple is married, it's not just about the two of them and how the relationship between the two of them is going. It's about how the two of them are deferring and striving for something that is actually above the horizontal plane, and that is their salvation, the sacramentality, the meaning, the essence of marriage, which actually goes beyond the couple themselves, which means they have to defer to that thing. Whenever something is beyond us, we defer to it. We don't bring it down into our level, nor do we ignore it and just function on our horizontal level. So in the ceremony of marriage in the Eastern churches, many Eastern churches, and in the theology, what's always fundamental at the beginning and should be throughout the marriage is the sense that this bond, this sacrament, is greater than the two of you. It's greater than what's happening between the two of you, although what's happening between the two of you is very, very important, of course, very much a part of it. But there is something greater than just what's happening between the two of you, something that's not dependent upon either or both in the relationship, and that is the commitment and the sacramentality of marriage. Marriage is a sharing in the life of the Trinity. It is a sharing in being able to love as God loves. It was the first commandment, in a manner of speaking, if you go back to Genesis, the first thing that we read in the Bible that God told man and woman to do after he created them as man and woman, he said to come together, be fruitful and multiply. The two shall become one flesh. No one should put this asunder. So in a sense, God commanded, his, the first commandment, so to speak, was to be married. And in fact, the end of the Bible depicts heaven as a marriage, 
It speaks of the wedding feast of the Lamb. So like bookends from beginning to end and so much in between, marriage really is what it's all about. And that's not to slight celibacy because celibacy is another way of being married. It's all about what, as John Paul II recalled, the spousal mystery, this relationship of God to us, how he loves us and how he made us so that we can love as he loves love each other, love him as he loves. And that is a spousal love. In other words, it's a love that gives of self, makes the gifts of self, and it is very self-donative. It's very selfless. So when a couple gets married, they're entering into something that is of the ultimate order. And that principle has to be preserved. A couple needs to be reminded of that. That's something I do when they come to me for marriage counseling because that's really the thing that has fallen away. And they are functioning or have been functioning strictly on the level of the horizontal, what's going on between them. And that's going to determine whether that marriage is working or not or whether they're, quote, unquote, still in love or not or they love each other. Their gaze has to go higher. They have to lift up their gaze above themselves and realize that the two of them have entered into something that is above them, something that remains, even if the love seems to have vanished or seems to have become diluted somehow. There is something that still remains, and that is this sacramentality and this commitment to that sacrament of marriage, this entrance into the life of the Trinity. Remember, couples have to understand going into marriage, all during their marriage, that their marriage is an arena. Marriage is an arena in which two people help each other get to heaven. They help each other to become that best version of themselves, to, as we say in the Eastern churches, to enter into the process of theosis or divinization, the ongoing growth into their own personal perfection. And that happens in a very reciprocal way. Each one in the marriage has to help the other to grow into the best version of themselves, to support them in that, not to knock them down, not to remind them that they're not what they expected them to be, but rather to help them to become that best version. And it has to be very, very reciprocal. So the first principle is that there is an overarching dimension to marriage that goes beyond just what's happening between the couple. And whenever there's difficulty in the marriage, couples have to come back to that principle. And a counselor, especially if it's a priest counselor, if they're really worth their salt, that will be very much a part of their therapy or their counseling. Because you see, this is not just a human, psychological, secular kind of phenomenon here. We're talking about the mystical. We're talking about a sacrament, which means that since God created marriage, Fundamentally, what it's all about has to do with God. And unless the marriage is brought back to that foundation, and yes, all the other psychological aspects, behavioral aspects can be worked out, but it has to be on the basis of recovering that overarching and fundamental understanding of what marriage actually is as sacrament, as commitment to a sacrament, something greater than the couple. And that God said, this should not be put asunder. This should not be broken up. You see, I know we have divorces and the church gives annulments. The church gives out far too many annulments. What I mean by that is it's unfortunate that we get so many applications for annulments. But in the end, if we really look at the soul of the church, the intention of the church, the canon law, everything, 
Underneath it all, the church is all about what God was about, that we're married only once and for life. And it's a very short time in this life, let's face it. We're going to talk more about the aspects of Eastern Christian spirituality that can help the sheltering at home from becoming a fighting at home. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. I'm Joe Murphy from Holy Family Radio, WHYF. AM 720, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and you're listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We're going through four points having to do with trying to keep sheltering from home, from being fighting at home, and shut down from being shut down in communication. The first one was to recall, to return back to that overarching and fundamental aspect of what marriage is. It's over and above what the couple is feeling or experiencing between them. The second thing is, is this idea, which we've talked about a lot here, because it's very important, it's very helpful. I'm going to call it the domestic church, where there has to be commitment that the Life at home, the household, has to be a domestic church. You see, if you can understand what I'm ultimately driving at here, because this is the thing that ultimately works. I know. I'm a counselor. I'm a trained counselor, and I'm a pastor of 37 years. I know what works. And what works ultimately is spirituality. And we have to understand it in a very, very solid and deep way, not a superficial way. When marriages break down, it's actually a breakdown in spirituality. Yes, it is. It's exactly what it is. It's not about, well, you know, I married the wrong person. He's a jerk. She's no good. It's not that. If somebody is a jerk or no good or behaving badly, that's spirituality ultimately. So spirituality says that marriage in the household should be like a domestic church. It should have the elements of fasting, moderation in eating and so on, and the use of anything, anything material like your computers, phones, There should be a regimen of prayer. 
a basic schedule of prayer in the house. It's, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. doesn't have to be something you can't accomplish. It can be done in very small ways, but consistent ways that can always be expanded on. And the third thing is the reading of Scripture. Now, these elements, fasting, prayer, reading of Scripture, in other words, it's basically a household culture. It's a culture of, of liturgy in the church where things are done in a way where there's a semblance to what happens in church, into the liturgy of the church, which involves, as we know, discipline and fasting, prayer and scripture. And as long as a family, a household, or a married couple, even if they don't have children, as long as they have that regimen, a consistent rhythm or regimen of these three things, prayer, fasting, and scripture, I guarantee you, they're going to stay on track as far as marriage. Their relationship is going to be deepened. They're going to stay in love, quote-unquote, even though I don't like to use that term. But they, they will learn, basically, how to love. And that's what it is. Love is ultimately a choice. This thing about, well, I don't love you anymore, what is that? What do you mean you don't love you anymore? Love is a choice. Love is not just some—it's not like a, a glass of water or something. You pour it out. When it's empty, it's empty. It's not like you know, you know, you you enjoy this pizzazz of marriage for a few years, and after that wears off, and the bills come in, and you're trying to raise the kids, and all the aggravation and the responsibility of that. That, well, I don't love you anymore. Love is a choice. It's a commitment you made to love. Remember, for better or for worse, people get so so emotional and so uh, just so moved by the the vows during church. I always remark at that. And yet, what do those vows mean a few years later? into the marriage. You know, it's such a big thing when you're taking those vows in front of people, but what happens afterwards? You forget about that emotional moment that you had when you were married, everybody witnessed. Yeah, it is for better or for worse. And worse probably should be spelled worst. Worst. It's not like, well, I didn't count on this. I didn't sign up for this. I don't know you were like this. Well, that's it. You're out of here. I'm out of here. You're not what I wanted you to be. So this is the kind of thinking that happens when we get into a situation where we don't have the elements of the domestic church, we become very secular, in very utilitarian in our spirituality. And this whole thing about, well, we drifted apart. We drifted apart because you didn't have that healthy rhythm in the house, the healthy relationship, a healthy aspect that makes healthy relationship, all that stuff you didn't do. It's what was missing. It's not because, well, we just happen to drift apart and she's this way and he's that way and we don't get along. You didn't even give it a try. The domestic church is what really supports marriages. And when those elements are not there, that marriage becomes very, very vulnerable. Now, the third thing is deferential love. In the Byzantine church, when we have a marriage ceremony, you don't get a choice of readings. You get the Gospel of John that talks about the wedding feast of Cana, his first miracle. And you get Ephesians chapter 5 from St. Paul, which is about wives be submissive to your husbands or subordinate, whichever translation you're using. Submissive or subordinate to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. But all that is wrapped up by saying, in the Lord. In other words, it's a love, it's a reciprocal kind of love that is experienced through the natures of the two respective genders and their particular call, male and female, there's a way that each one loves as male and female. It's a call to that, but in Christ. It's how they love in Christ. It says in Ephesians that wives should be submissive to their husbands as if to the Lord. Now, this presumes that the husband is loving her 
as Christ loves the church, so there is no room there for lording over, for being manipulative or abusive, is there? Not in the Lord. The submissiveness on her part means really an honoring of his mission to love her. You see, in marriage, a husband and wife both, in a sense, have the key that can unlock one another to love. It's right. Yes, we have to make a choice. But what happens is each one in the marriage is, in a certain sense, sometimes shackled, and the other person holds the key to free them to love. What I mean by that is when each one is moving in the direction of each other, of the needs of each other, trying to meet those needs and put the other first, that unlocks the other to love then the other. It's very, very reciprocal. So deferential love, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5, is another part of what would help to make a marriage very strong, even during a time of sheltering at home. Also, part of that deferential love means we avoid statements like, well, it's your fault, or you this, you always do that, you never do that. Deferential love doesn't do that. Deferential love actually always looks back on oneself and says, okay, even though this person is this way or that way, what am I to do in response to that? You don't just itemize what's wrong with them because they're wrong. They don't measure up to your image was, your expectation was, so you get rid of them. Or you think that we drifted apart, the marriage is over. That's not how you approach it. According to the spirituality of the Eastern churches, what you do is you look toward oneself and say, okay, what am I doing and not doing that could help this situation? Or maybe it's me who has a maybe hypersensitivity to something about that other person, so I get irritated. Well, that's my fault. I can't expect that person to be perfect. Maybe I got some hangups. Maybe I need to look at what's why this bothers me. Not just that it bothers me, but why does it bother me? Maybe I need to articulate more clearly what my needs are to my spouse. They don't understand that they're not meeting my needs and they're, they're maybe hurting me. Sometimes spouses don't understand. In fact, that's oftentimes a very big part of it. So deferential love. Now, the fourth thing is monasticism. That's right. That's actually what you're experiencing by sheltering at home. You're in your monastic caves, your little mini monastic communities or hermitages, and you have a time there for quiet, for reflection. And yeah, have some space apart from each other. Everybody needs their personal space, and I don't mean that in the secular term, I mean it in terms of opening up to God, opening oneself up to make space for God. We need quiet, we need solitude, we need silence, to be reflective, to pray. We need time, and certainly this is happening, you're feeling that sometimes in a very painful or impatient way, we need time to renew our attitude towards the Eucharist and all that it means. We don't have it right now, just like many monks didn't have access to it, but they spent their lives preparing for it through repentance. They had a tremendous respect for the Eucharist by virtue of not having it. I'm not saying we shouldn't have the Eucharist. I'm just saying that since we are at a time right now, and maybe it'll get better soon, that we don't have access to the Eucharist, at least in mass, no pun intended. Since we don't have access to that, we have a chance now to renew our approach to it, to deepen our appreciation of it and all that it means. It's not just about receiving Christ. That Certainly, that's enough in itself. But it's about uniting ourselves with the body of Christ, which is also his church and all the church means and teaches. 
If we don't believe or accept and live according to church teaching, we have no business going to communion. See, we've compartmentalized it. We've taken it out of its context of the whole church, and that's precisely what Christ wants us to look at during this shutdown, during our monastic experience. The monastic experience in the Eastern spirituality is very much a part of marriage. That's right. St. John Chrysostom said basically that married couples should be good monks in that they should have these elements of monasticism in their marriage. And those marriages that do, I guarantee you, are the healthiest and the happiest and ones that last for the rest of their lives. Monasticism, the domestic church, all those aspects of spirituality, fasting and prayer, reading of scriptures, that's not just for monks or religious people. That is especially for married people. Because without those things, sorry, but marriages don't have much of a chance. So the answer to the fighting at home during this sheltering at home really comes down to, as always, spirituality. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. radio is it's training for the troops it's a interaural of the ear boot camp the folks who listen who grow in their faith grow in charity grow in all the virtues they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves catholic radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith dr ray garendi thinks catholic radio is important so should you thank you for listening Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!